So Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Just by way of context, this is um, day of Pentecost. Peter is delivering the first sermon. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear the words, or hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is the word of God for us today. Well, again, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. And if you would, uh, please pray with me now before we look to God's word together. God, we ask your help this morning to see you and know you better by the truths of your word and, and more than that, even by the power of Christ's resurrection, which all of it points to. We thank you for the joy of his redemption that he's purchased for us by his blood. And, and God, we pray that you would deepen our commitment to him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, or even what you believe, frankly, I think we can all agree on, on these things. Um, death is really, really bad. And resurrection from the dead would be really, really good. It, it, it's, it's so evident. It's, it's, almost, it's almost laughable to even say it. We just, it's just readily acceptable. We just know this. And if you've ever lost someone incredibly close to you, then you understand this very well. Uh, you know how the sorrow of someone else's death even can, can flip your life upside down and leave it changed forever. And if somehow that person pushed those church doors open this morning here again alive, you would be beside yourself with the kind of joy you have never experienced. E even the most spiritually skeptical person in this room, uh, e even the most spiritually skeptical person you know loves the idea, at least, of resurrection. The problem is not that resurrection is undesirable anyway. The problem is that many people believe resurrection is impossible. Death is so unavoidable, and death is, is so seemingly final that for many people, the, the, the thought of a resurrection from the dead is just too good to be true. Everyone knows that everyone dies and no one comes back from the dead. It's just not possible. Well, in this passage, Carl just read for us, the apostle Peter is preaching a sermon on the day of Pentecost. So it would have been just a few weeks after Jesus reportedly rose from the dead. And in this little excerpt from that sermon, Peter basically says, you guys, 
crucified this Jesus, and God raised him from the dead. It's it's perfect Easter passage, right? Exactly what you might expect. But there is one peculiar detail that Peter includes, maybe you've caught it, that we are going to spend this entire sermon considering together. Just one detail. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Peter says, God raised him, Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In other words, Peter is claiming that not only was resurrection possible for Jesus, it was inevitable. In fact, for Jesus, it was staying dead that was the real impossibility. It was not possible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Those pangs had to be loosed. Now, a pang is just a sudden, intense surge of anguish or sorrow. So in a physical sense, if you just imagine jamming your finger really bad or, or, or sort of getting that unex, unexpected cramp in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, it's like something where as, as soon as you experience the pain, it, it's just so intense, you can't help but seizing up and just going, right? This is a pain. And the point here is not just that Jesus' death was physically painful. The point is that death is always so terrible and so horrific that it is basically like a never-ending pang. Anytime someone dies, it just feels wrong. It just feels, right? And then it never changes. They never go away. The, the pangs are never loosed. But when Jesus died, it, it did feel this way. It felt like, ooh, But then, the pangs were loosed. Jesus' situation went from to, ooh, right? Now, I'm sure you've all heard that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm sure none of us are surprised this is what we're talking about today. Christians have always believed this. The Bible clearly claims that it happened. But do we know why it happened? What was it about Jesus that made it impossible for him to stay dead? This is the question we're going to consider today. And just a brief disclaimer at the four, at, at just at starting point here. Uh, this will not be a medical treatment of the likelihood of Jesus' resurrection. Right? Our, our modern notions of of life tend to be connected to and unfortunately sometimes limited to disciplines like biology, which we're very fond of at Redemption. We have a number of medical students. We're just five minutes from a hospital and medical college. We're very pro-biology, but in biology, we only tend to consider the visible properties of life, the observable, measurable things like, like the body itself and its functions, for example. And here's the problem with that. For millennia, God's people have always believed that this visible world represents an invisible spiritual world, a world that God himself has defined for us and and revealed to us even. He's made it known to us in the pages of Scripture. And therefore, things like life and death, we know they do happen in the physical world. Of course they do, but we believe they can only be truly explained and understood using spiritual categories. Things like sin and spirits and faith and, and the whole list of them. Now, I have to say, for some of you, that may frustrate you. I understand that. 
uh, because, uh, especially rather, if you've just refused to acknowledge these kinds of categories. And, and I'll say, if you, if you want to reject everything we read today in the Bible, that will be up to you. But before you do, let's at least make sure you know what it claims about life, death, and the hope of resurrection. And to do that today, we're going to consider the Bible's answer to two very simple questions. What is death and who is Christ? What is death and who is Christ? As we consider these two questions, I trust we will begin to see why it was not only great that Jesus rose from the dead, it was impossible for him to stay dead. First, what is death? First thing I want us to see about death is that it is the penalty for sin. In other words, death was not a part of God's original design. Death came into the picture because we, human beings, rebelled against God's original design. To put it very plainly, if we had not sinned, there would be no death. And we see this in the very first chapters of the Bible. God creates all things. He forms the man, at least his body, from the dust of the ground. He breathes his life. Then into that body, he says that everything he's created is very good. He puts the man in a garden of delight to work and keep the garden. And then he says this to the man, Genesis 2. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is the first mention of death in the entire Bible, and I want you to notice God first mentions it as a penalty for sin. If you reject my word, if you disobey what I've just told you, then you will die. Now at this point, Adam was the only human to have ever lived. And so uh, God had just breathed his life into him not long before, and so he had never seen or heard of anyone dying. Life was all he knew. And yet God vows, if you disobey me, then the life that I just breathed into you will come to an end. We read, of course, much, much later in Scripture, in Peter, or, sorry, Paul's letter to the Romans, that the wages of sin is death. In other words, when the work of sin is what we do, then death is, is the payment. It's the wage we receive for that work. Death is what we earn ourselves by doing the work of sin. This is the first thing we need to understand about death, frankly, in order to make sense of what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. I want us to see there is a connection between the spiritual reality of sin and the physical reality of death. In particular, physical death is a penalty for spiritual sin. Next, I want us to see that death is also the natural consequence of separation from God. It's the natural consequence. Uh, this also makes a lot of sense based on what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Because remember, it was God who created all things to begin with, the entire physical world. And it was God who breathed his life into that first man. In Genesis 2, the word that is used for breath when God breathes his life into that man is also closely related to the word that is used for spirit. As if God is almost breathing his spirit into the man. In other words, everything comes from this God. He is the source of it all. If it were not for this God, nothing else would exist, and there would certainly be nothing so complex and beautiful as human life, because our life comes from 
and depends on this God. Therefore, when we rebel against him, we go our own way, we try to live as our own God, so to speak, it would naturally then follow, we die, just as God said that we would. Death is, it's a natural consequence of trying to live without the God of life. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And I want you to notice why. It's because we were following after the wrong spirit. He says, you're following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That would be the spirit of Satan. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, I don't follow the spirit of Satan. Hold on. He says, among whom we all once lived, he says, in the passions of our flesh, doing whatever our bodies wanted, uh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And he says, and we were by nature, that is, we were naturally children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we rebel against this God who made us and gave us life, which we all have, when we follow after the prince of this world, the spirit of Satan, which we all have, then, then death is just the natural result of that. First and foremost, this means a spiritual death, which is what Paul's clearly talking about in Ephesians 2. He's writing to a, a church of people who are very much alive, and he's telling them that they're dead. But the point is this, that it is this spiritual death that leads then to our physical death. As he says in Romans chapter 5, sin came into this world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. By the way, uh, this is why we need, rather, this is why a resurrected man is God's solution to the problem of sin is because wherever sin is present, physical death will soon follow as just a natural consequence until the cycle is broken. This is why we need a resurrected man. A long-time pastor and author, John Piper, once explained that human life today is like a flower that's been plucked up out of the ground. It's been taken out of its source of life. And as a result, that flower may look alive for a time, but we all know before long that flower will wither and dry out, and it will die. And when it does, frankly, none of us are particularly surprised of that. We, we know this is how it works because it's just a natural consequence of, of plucking a thing out of its life source, of separating it from the ground. And in the same way, on one hand, death is a penalty for sin. It is a consequence that God enforces on purpose. And at the same time, it is also just a natural consequence. It is just what happens when people forsake the God who gives life. So, death is the penalty for sin. It's a natural consequence of separation from God. And therefore, finally, three, death is the inevitable fate of all people. Everyone. In other words, this spiritual problem of sin does not just lead to death for some of us. We've already seen we were dead in our trespasses like the rest of mankind, Paul says in Ephesians 2. And again, death spread to all men because all sinned in Romans 5. And, and Paul says even more clearly in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. This is the Bible's answer and explanation for why every person you've ever met will die. It is because death is the penalty for sin, 
and a natural consequence of trying to live separated and apart from God, and both of these things are true of every single human being who has ever lived, except one, who is Christ. Now here I want to show us three truth claims that the Bible makes about Jesus. What I want you to notice is how each of these truth claims is designed to basically cancel out everything we just learned about death. For example, first, death was the penalty for sin. And one thing we learn about Jesus is that he was sinless. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 4, speaking of Jesus, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, it says, yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. Throughout the gospel accounts, he never confesses any sin. He never says to repent of any of his sin. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, he committed no sin. It's pretty clear. Uh, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Church, Jesus is a living, breathing human just like us in every way except in this way. He is sinless. Next, I want us to see, though, how he even could be a sinless human being. I thought all of them were sinful, and ultimately he could. It's possible because Jesus is the spirit-filled God-man. He is a spirit-filled God-man. In other words, there is no separation between he and God. He and the Father and the Spirit are all one. This gets us to the incredible, mysterious doctrine of the Trinity, which is so foundational to making sense of any of this. God is one, and yet he exists for all of eternity in three separate persons. Now, right away in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we learn how this could be. We learn how Jesus was born as a sinless human being, and it turns out it's because he was conceived by God's holy, life-giving spirit. In other words, he had a literal human mother in whose womb he was knit together in his body, just like us. But this is very important. He did not have a human father. The one true and living God is the Father of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, we read about all three members of the Trinity at work and on display. He, the Son, is being dipped beneath the water in his baptism. The Spirit is descending on him like a dove, almost a signal that he is in Christ. He is with him. They are one. And the Father says from heaven, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, in this lengthy, complicated story that has been dominated by human sin ever since Genesis chapter three, God the Father in this moment is saying, finally, here is a man who has not forsaken me. With this one, he says, I am pleased with my son. He is the spirit-filled God-man. Paul makes this point very clear in Colossians 1. He says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And that last part's important. In in his physical human body, the whole fullness of deity dwells. So Jesus is not just a human who's on better terms with God somehow. No, the fullness, Jesus is rather the fullness of God in a human man. He is the sinless Spirit-filled God, man, fully God, 
fully man and yet without sin. And so, if death is a penalty for sin and Jesus is sinless, and if death is a natural consequence of life separated from God, and yet the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, they're not separated at all, then it would naturally follow that unlike every other human who has ever lived, death was not the inevitable fate for Jesus. It was not. In other words, he did not have to die. And he certainly did not deserve to die, which is what makes this final point all the more powerful, church. Jesus is the sinless, spirit-filled God-man who chose to die anyway. (laughs) He chose to die anyway, even though he did not have to. This is why he says this in John chapter 10. He says, no one takes my life from me. No one. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority, he says, to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Church, when we die, we do not die of our own accord. When we die, we do not willingly lay down our lives. No, when we die, our lives are taken from us. And we have nothing to say in return. We have no defense. We cannot take it up again Not so with Jesus. Not so. When Jesus died, he had every right to take his life up again. In fact, it was not possible for the pangs of death to hold him. And here's why. It's because Jesus is truly human. He is. But he is much, much more than just human. Jesus is the source of life itself. Jesus is is the source of life itself. This man, Jesus Christ, is the God who breathed his breath of life into that first man long ago. That God has become a living, breathing man so that he could finally deal with our sin and our death. As Paul says in Colossians 1, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, in this man, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace. How? How did this Jesus make peace with his creation? How did this Jesus make peace with all the sinful human life that filled his creation? Church, he did it by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the creator and source of all things, including life itself. Listen, life comes from Jesus, and it turns out you cannot kill the source of life itself, at least not for long. Even if he chooses to die, before long, the pangs of death will be loosed from him because it is not possible for death to keep its grip on the source of life itself. 
And so in light of this, in light of everything we've just seen, I want to ask you guys, all of us, two questions. I want to ask first, do you really believe that Jesus is the source of your life? Do you really believe that? Here I want to circle back to my little disclaimer at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, I really meant what I said. Uh, If you do want to disregard everything that I've just taught today, that is entirely up to you. If you want to disregard it because it's even spiritual, you just don't believe in that spiritual stuff, you are free to do that. Um, But I am going to ask you to make a move one way or another. (laughs) I I want you to really ponder, could this Jesus be the source of your life? Uh, The growing consensus seems to be, at least in popular culture, there is a merely physical explanation for basically everything. And to take spiritual matters, especially like these ones, seriously in any real fashion is is sort of a waste of time. Now, if that's where you are coming from today, I want to, again, gently, lovingly challenge you a bit about that. I want you to consider all the joys that you experience in your life. Consider how incredible it is even just to be immersed in a vast wilderness or, or a mountain range or, or to stand at the edge of a seemingly endless ocean that has been there for God knows how long. If you have children, just consider what is happening every time you sit across the table, share a meal, and talk with them. Another complex human who somehow came from you, someone with a totally different personality and their own distinct fears and longings is just there. There they are, as real as ever, and you remember very well the time when they didn't even exist. In many cases, it wasn't long ago. In my case, just five years, five years ago. I remember. Consider the wonders of who you are. You are a living, breathing creature with an incredible mind and a useful body. You can create beautiful works of art, solve complex problems. Some of you can even do math. (laughs) I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. As I make these noises with my mouth, the sound waves travel through this microphone, out of those speakers. They bounce around this room until they make it to your ear. And when they do, you somehow can parse them and decipher exactly what it is that I'm trying to say. Do you really think that all of this is the result of happenstance? Really? Do you think this is just some happy accident of nature? Does this fact that we have learned so much about the physical world, which we have, and I'm sure there's much more to learn, does that fact, though, really mean that there is nothing true about the spiritual claims of Scripture? Is that really as far as we want to take that? Uh, What if the visible lives we live do represent something eternal and invisible, and spiritual? What if all the splendors of life are ultimately pointing you to an invisible creator God? And what if that invisible God has made himself visible in this now resurrected man, Jesus Christ? Could he be the source of all of it?
Because if so, I think it's hard to argue, that changes everything. It changes everything. I want you to consider that today. And even as committed Christians, it's easy to believe these things in theory, but then live as if we don't actually believe these things. Some things in our lives we know are about Jesus. We understand that. Uh, When we read our Bibles, that's about Jesus. If some of you decided to go ahead and be baptized with us on May 22nd, that, that will be about Jesus. And definitely when we come to church on Resurrection Sunday, this is clearly about Jesus. What about when we wake up in the morning and we are still alive? Or when we eat food and it does all kinds of incredible things to nourish and sustain us. Or just the fact, again, that our heart has kept beating every day since we were in our mother's wombs. Now, you may not have this truth in mind all the time. I realize that. But when all is said and done, when we do stop to consider our lives, do we really believe that all of this comes from Jesus? Just take a deep breath with me this morning. Just Okay. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. That's what this book claims of him. John chapter one, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Church, our lives are about this man. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he is the source of your life? And finally, number two, will you rely on him to defeat the power of death for you? Will you rely on him to overcome your death? Here I want to focus on how his everlasting life could actually become a benefit to us. It is by believing this good news that Jesus died and rose again that we receive his spirit. If you look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, in Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, pause, when you heard the gospel, when you heard this message that I've just been preaching to you for the last 30 minutes, Paul is saying, when you hear that, when you heard it, and when you believed in it, when you trusted in it, when you relied on it, he says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you see where this is headed? All of a sudden, these three marks of death are going to start coming undone in you if you believe in this good news message that Jesus died and rose again for your sins. When you acknowledge your sin before God and you trust in his death and resurrection to cover that sin, it is as if your sins are washed clean and that life-giving breath of God comes back to you. Like Jesus, you are filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And here's the result. Of that, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For those of us who do believe in this resurrected man, who rely on him, who trust in him, for those of us who are filled with his spirit as a result, it will be just as impossible for death to keep its grip on us. Not because of us, but because our record of sin has been nailed to his cross. 
Because the spirit we were once separated from is now alive in us because of Jesus. None of your greatest fears, none of even your most egregious sins, the most terrible things you've ever done, none of them will be able to keep you in that grave. Someday, Christian, you will rise again to enjoy eternal life and intimacy with God and with others because life itself has come in human flesh to conquer the power of sin and death for you, for us, and for all who believe in Jesus.